0: five, six, seven, eight. Hello, and welcome to Dance Talks. Today is May 2nd, 2020, and my guest is Michael Whitmire. Michael is the founder and director of Salsa Grande. Michael, thank you for being a part of Dance Talks.
1: Um, Pleasure to be here, Andrea. So thank you very much for uh, including me in your series of uh, podcasts here.
0: For sure. So we want to know all about you. When did you start dancing?
1: You mean dancing, dancing, or the type of dancing that I teach and um, do do now? Just dancing, dancing.
0: Yeah, earliest memory.
1: Oh, earliest memory is as a child um, trying to uh, mimic moves that I saw from uh, Michael Jackson on Soul Train, and you know, I could be Michael Jackson, my sister could be Janet Jackson, and you know, we could just enjoy the music and so just you know dance along to the things that I would see on TV and uh, trying to imitate them and, and. um, you know, it made me feel good to to watch it and to, to try to do it. just felt good to, to do those types of dances. So those are the earliest memories, basically, I think. Um,
0: when six, was seven. that? What oh, year? I think,
1: oh, oh, years. Um, let's see. We're talking uh, late 70s, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. When I was a little child, I think I remember my cousin also, my first cousin, um, chimed me in. So, yeah, kind of, kind of late 80s, kind of, yeah, around that time. Well, sorry, late 70s, yeah.
0: And then when did you first, I guess, like take a dance class or what, you know, what was kind of the next big step for you? Um,
1: well, the next, let's say small step was probably just, uh, you know, in high school and in kind of, or I think even in elementary school, I remember taking a little square dance class in, in, in PE, uh, probably mm-hmm. like fourth, fourth or fifth grade. And as we get into this discussion, kind of square dance really relates a lot to what I do now. But that's actually some of my first formal memories. Uh, I think in high school, we had like maybe a semester of PE where we included a dance. And then uh, after that, it probably was not until um, after, I'm a lawyer, I'm the dancing lawyer, and that's also how some people know me. And and, um, so maybe even after graduating law school, I I moved out, I was in Austin for a while and moved back to Houston. And so at some point in Houston, uh, tried a few dance classes and then uh, off and on for a while, just danced with friends and decided I wanted to get better and get more formalized with my training. And that's uh, probably around 2000 is when I really started um, taking dance classes seriously, especially in, well, let's say in salsa. I did actually before, again, I teach salsa and a variation of that called Reta, um, a little bit before I got heavily into the dance, uh, salsa dance uh, lessons. For about a year, I had taken swing dance lessons. And so that was really my first kind of serious uh, delve into partner dancing um, and, uh, you know, just what it takes to kind of lead a partner into movements and follow along with the music and just, you know, improvise on the spot. So I did that, um, you know, off and on for a while. And um, but then I started to get more and more into salsa. There were more opportunities for me to dance salsa. And so that's where I decided to kind of put more of my focus um, yeah, so that, that's kind of where I got started with the serious learning as well, around, around the year 2000.
0: Cool. Well, let's go back to grade school. And when you were square dancing, can you give us like a overview of what square dancing is and kind of what the scene was? Was it in the cafeteria and did y'all do a show or kind of was it just a day?
1: Uh, no, it was, I remember it being more than a day. Um, I don't remember doing an actual stage show. Um, again, I think I recall again, doing a little square dance. Yeah. Yeah. I think probably in a cafeteria where they would teach us. And, um, yeah, no, I remember kind of going back to it on a regular basis to the point where we learned some moves, you know, do si whatever you, you know, they call out it in, in uh, square dancing and, uh, you know, and just kind of having fun dance with other little girls in the glass and, uh, you know, just as a group activity, it seemed fun. And, and, uh, so that's why, that's, I guess the main thing I recall is that it was fun, uh, that it was some structured dance activity, and um, yeah, those are kind of my takeaways from it.
0: Where did you grow up? Uh,
1: mostly in Houston. Uh, yeah, I was born in, in Michigan, but uh, since I was six years old, I've been in Houston. Uh, both of my parents are from Houston, so Houston's home, even though I've, I'm not truly a native, but I've been here long enough to where Houston is my home, yes.
0: Yeah, I feel you. I moved here when I was five.
1: Okay. Okay. So yeah, just not the same year, but, but yeah, the same kind of age okay. range that we were at. Right.
0: And we did square dancing in kindergarten. Um, and the, we did get dressed up one day and all like all the kindergartner classes came together in the cafeteria, all in our little groups at eight. And we did a show and I know my parents were there cause I've seen a video of it and it was okay, so great. fun. Um, and just for our listeners, Square dancing is done to this, like what, old-timey Western music? And yeah, there's a caller that will tell you what moves to do. So kids get taught, bow to your partner and your lady left, and these various moves that just get called out, and we know what we're doing because, you know, we know each little piece.
1: Right, right, right. And, and again, as we get, kind of get into the discussion, that's some of what I still do now as an adult. And that's, uh, uh, like I said, it relates a lot to that square dancing we learned.
0: Yeah, when you started classes in swing and salsa, where did you go?
1: Um, let's see, specific studios and things like yeah. that? Yeah. I think, okay, I think, well, I took um, in the kind of late mid to late 90s um, a class just for maybe basically about a month or so. Um, I think it was at SS2Q. Uh, it was kind of a prominent dance studio, been around for many years. It's kind of not really uh, kind of around now just because of kind of what happened with Hurricane Harvey in Houston a few years ago. Um, But, yeah, a friend of mine had, uh, I think she had taken the first month or so with her boyfriend, and they broke up, and she wanted to keep going. And I said, okay, I'll I'll tag along for this next session of it for the next month, and I did. And um, and I think I gained some things out of it, but we both kind of stopped at that time. Another place called Rodriguez Dance Studio um, that I had uh, taken a class or so from. And then, um, so that was kind of, and then I kind of got away from it. And then around 2000, so that's when I got back into it. Uh, let's see, for swing, um, I know there was a, um, I guess a group called the Houston Swing Dance Society, and I think they're still around. And um, and I think one of the instructors from there was teaching at the downtown YMCA. And so, um, at least that's how, where she was started at. And At the time, my uh, business office was basically kind of cat from the downtown YMCA. And so it was very easy to go over there and take lessons. And so I did that. I think eventually they moved to uh, the Melody Club. For people who've been around Houston for a while, the Melody Club was a, a place that they would do some lessons and uh, hold socials. And so um, so that was kind of the place. And then as it turned out, the my salsa instructor was also teaching at the downtown YMCA. So kind of as it, around the time when I was starting to think about switching from swing to salsa, um, I started t- again taking classes over there at the Downtown YMCA, and I guess over time I realized kind of the, the little rock step that was in swing was a little bit different from the rock step than salsa, and I was kind of getting sometimes confused, and that's where where I kind of decided I really should focus on one or the other, and around up going into salsa. I had more friends who knew how to dance salsa at the time. There were more opportunities to dance salsa at the time, so that's where I kind of kind of veered in that direction.
0: What kind of opportunities do you mean?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, in terms of, um, well, how I got into salsa at the beginning was uh, shortly after I graduated from law school. I worked for another year in Austin. Then I came back to Houston. One of my college roommates um, was also, he went to law school and we got back together in Houston. And um, he kind of introduced, he's he's Mexican-American and he had developed a, a wide circle of other Hispanic friends. And I would hang out with him, which means I would hang out with them and uh, one time after dinner, a couple of ladies said they wanted to go to a salsa club, and I said, "Sure, I'll tag along a couple of cute ladies want to do something. I'll go do it too and uh <laughs> they taught me that they taught me the very basic steps of it and uh so and so from that standpoint i I started to develop friends within that network of, of friends who were hispanic backgrounds so from you know puerto Rico Cuba Colombia Venezuela different countries like that, but a big feature of a lot of their gatherings was music and dance. And so, you know, it could be a birthday party, it could be a wedding, it could be some other just house party get-together, and at some point or another, some Latin music would get turned on. And so so my close network of friends was largely Hispanic, and there would be many opportunities just socializing with them to, um, in their natural uh, or, or kind of common practice of going out dancing or socializing would include salsa music, merengue, other Latin music. Uh, For them to go swing dancing would be taking them out of where they would go. I I kind of had to make different friends just from the swing classes I was taking, which was good. I mean, I I met some nice people through that. But my wider circle of friends included uh, more Hispanic people and more events where there might be salsa music. There were also more restaurants and clubs in Houston that would play it on a semi-regular basis. So, there, there just were more places, more opportunities when I dance, when I got together with my friends that it might end up in salsa dancing. And so I didn't have to make too much of an extra effort to do that where it would actually be slightly a, a, an extra effort to get to do swing. And so that's kind of where it, it uh, went in that direction.
0: Yeah. What are your favorite hotspots?
1: Um, well, when, uh, when everything opens up again, hopefully, um, one of my favorite places was club Tropicana. Uh, Tropicana is um, uh, it's, it's a great venue. Uh, if you drive by from the outside, you couldn't, wouldn't necessarily recognize all the great stuff that's inside. It's kind of a little strip center on the street corner, but, uh, once you go inside, it's uh very nicely, uh, uh, decorated, uh, great dance floor. They maintain the dance floor. The, the manager there, um, uh, used to be a dancer, I guess he's still a dancer, but I met him when we were uh, just dancers on the same dance team many years ago. And uh, and so I think he knows how to cater to the people who go there just to grab a drink and relax, and also the people who go there primarily to dance. So it's a good environment for, I think, a good mix of people. So yeah, Tropicana is kind of my go-to um, on a regular basis.
0: They have a great band.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 There are a couple of different bands. And, you know, the the sequence before would be there'd be one band on Fridays and a different band on Saturdays. They kind of switch back and forth. There have been different years over the, uh, you know, different points over this last span of years where they might have had a band on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But now it's pretty much a Friday, Saturday thing. And, and yeah, I know. It's pretty much a guaranteed uh, good time if I'm going to go there on a Friday or Saturday. I I know I'm going to enjoy myself.
0: For sure. Yeah. I've been a couple of times. It's really fun.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's great atmosphere. Yeah, actually, I think I saw you. Yeah. I've been there with you one time. Hey! <laughs> I it's been, been few, yeah. I think it a few years ago. I think we overlapped there.
0: Well, I remember how everybody I danced with there really knew how to dance.
1: Okay. Well, I'd like to think I know how to dance. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I mostly know you as a performer. So when did you start performing?
1: Uh, I guess my very first, uh, performance was probably in the fall of 2000. Again, with one of the dance studios, I was, um, uh, uh, where I was taking, as taking, uh, lessons at the, at the time, the studio instructor wanted to get some of the students together for, to just do a little dance routine around, uh, Christmas time. I think it was a little, um, it was early December and he taught us a little routine, probably about two or three minutes long. And, um. So, yeah, I I think a couple of other students in the class said that they wanted to do it. And um, and I said, OK, yeah, I'll, I'll do it, too. And, and I know one of the other uh, women in the class was very helpful practicing with me. I think at that time it was actually mostly a, a kind of a footwork um, um, routine where there wasn't as much about the partner work. It was more just about the stepping through the, the little pattern uh, that the instructor had taught us. And so I think that was the first uh, time I danced, um, yeah, fall of 2000. And then, I think a couple of months later, that same instructor kind of decided he wanted to uh, maybe put together a little show. And so we'd actually do a few different numbers, like you know four or five, or I think maybe even six different um, routines in the same show. And again, I chimed in and said, sure, I'd, I'd be willing to do that. And kind of one thing led to another, and I started doing more and more uh, performances there, and uh, yeah, and that's, that's kind of how it started. And it just, one thing led to another. I decided to keep on doing it when I had other opportunities.
0: What kind of performance spaces were you in?
1: Um, I think the very first one was a restaurant. Again, um, this is back in kind of fall of 2000, uh, early 2001. There were um, not as many clubs are dedicated to salsa in Houston, and even now they're not a lot. But, um, but it would be common for, just like it is now, for a restaurant to say, okay, we're going to have one night a week, and that's our salsa night. And so our Friday night or a Thursday or a Saturday or whatever it might be, as a way to draw our customers, they'd say, okay, let's go ahead and have salsa dances in here. So I think, uh, as I recall, the place was uh, Valentino's, is the name of it at the time, and, um, and uh, I think they did have salsa every once in a while, and, and I guess, I don't know if, what the arrangements were with the instructor, whether he had hired it out or just had worked out a deal with the, uh, the restaurant owner to say, Hey, we're going to have our students performing here. But um, yeah, I remember just being a large restaurant that had kind of an open floor where we had the opportunity where I think they did clear out some of the tables and there was space for several of us to dance our routine uh, and go from there.
0: Yes. Cool. Well, for our listeners who don't uh, know Salsa Grande, tell us about your style.
1: Um, let's see, that's kind of difficult to pinpoint, but I guess I'll say what I do generally is I, I, I do a mix of, uh, private lessons that deal with, um, Latin social dances, such as salsa, merengue, uh, bachata, cha-cha-cha. Uh, so when couples want to learn that, um, I'll teach that or individuals uh, want to do that, I'll, I'll do that. In terms of group classes, I teach, uh, workshops, um, in a dance form called reddit. And so in terms of, uh, again, going back to our early part of the discussion, uh, Roretta developed out of Cuba. Rueda is the Spanish word for wheel, and the easy way to describe it is that it's the salsa version of square dancing. So basically, we're dancing, uh, you know, there's music going on, uh, couples form a circle, and then one person calls out the moves and we do them. Um, a slight variation on uh, how that, or a couple of different variations on how that uh, differs from from regular square dancing is one you don't have to have just four couples it's not a square it's a circle and so again red is wheels, so it's more of a circular format uh, and you can have anywhere from two couples to a thousand couples i mean i've actually seen videos on the internet where you know somebody in columbia had a stadium and kind of the track around the stadium was filled with dancers one person in the wow. middle had a mic had a microphone over the speaker Called it out, and everybody was doing it, so it really it's expandable, and so that's one of the deals too and so the other variation is also the person calling out the moves is one of the dancers, and so typically in square dancing, somebody is standing outside the circle, telling the dancer or standing outside the square telling those four couples what to do. I am inside the circle telling everybody what to do. I give every move has a name, some moves have hand signals, I can do this, I can do that like do that. And all that means something different to somebody who's dancing Red up. And uh, so, yeah, so being in the circle with the dancers makes it a little more dynamic as well. And uh, and, and again, because it kind of developed out of Cuba, it is very common to use Cuban style salsa uh, when dancing it. Although, you know, any type of salsa can be used. And I've danced with many variations of salsa. I've also seen it uh, dance, you know, with swing dancers. I've seen it dance with other types of and just using that format, but other types of music. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I guess I focus on regga, a little bit more of the Cuban style. But when I grew, when I kind of, my dance journey, my learning, uh, like I said, developed with friends from different countries. And so really, I didn't think of salsa as, okay, Cuban style salsa or Puerto Rican style or New York style or L.A. style or Colombian style, which, is, which mean different things now, to me, it was all salsa. And so I didn't try to focus on one thing. I just, I saw what I liked and I tried to learn that move and I heard some salsa music and I would do it. So mm-hmm. so I try not to limit myself just to what's considered Cuban style because to me, I enjoy all forms of salsa and I want to be in a situation where if somebody wants to dance it, then I'm there to dance and, and I'm there to kind of, we can have a good time on the dance floor with whatever type of salsa music it is. At this point, I've learned enough about the variations where I think I can adapt to any type of partner, and that's what I want my students to be able to do, especially, um, you know, I used to teach weekly group classes. Uh, When I decided to create uh, Salsa Grande, I switched to the focus on either these radio workshops or the private lessons, but especially with my private lessons, uh, I try to make sure that my students understand the slight variations they might hear in the music, or that they might see from other dancers and to be able to adapt to that that you know shouldn't be just because i learned salsa from a cuban instructor i can't dance with somebody who learns salsa from a colombian instructor or puerto rican instructor we, there's more similarity than difference you know kind of like with people um that really we can make it work if you're interested in dancing with that person just recognizing where the differences are then going there respecting your partner and trying to figure out how you can make that work for that three minutes or five minutes worth of social
0: dancing would you please tell us more about that and the connection, maybe like some of those words that you actually use when you teach your students?
1: Um, you mean in terms of like the, the rueda calls or description of salsa?
0: Let's, let's start with rueda calls and then I want to know more about how to uh, vibe with your partner.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, well, so yeah, so Reda there's, um, you know, the, m- most of the calls are in Spanish. Um, and so they're going to be Spanish words again, like I said, developed out of Cuba and we pretty much stick with the kind of the Spanish formulation. A basic, uh, call is "dame," which means give me. And so that just means you're giving me the next lady in the circle where one guy will switch. He's standing with his one partner and then the call is made. If, if you're Seeing this on a video, I'm doing this as a hand signal, and that's the hand signal for just give me the next lady. Um, I might put two fingers and bring them together. That's my dame dos. I will move to the second lady in our circle. Um, I can tap my head, and that means sombrero is a move. And so once I tap my head, um, you know to do the move sombrero. You know, sombrero is the Spanish word for hat. So that's why I'm doing that. And so part of the deal, too, with having both a oral call and a hand signal is, you know, we can be in a club. We can be in a a restaurant or at a festival where the music is so loud that I can shout as loud as I can shout. And the person who's right next to me still can't hear me, but uh, they can still see me uh, across the circle. And and so that's where the hand signals come in so that even if you can't hear me, uh, you can still see me and we can still make the dance work. Uh, Same type thing. Maybe I'm in the club and the lights are, you know, flashing a lot and maybe it's difficult to see my hands. Well, then I'm going to shout a little bit louder so you can hear me. So there are ways to try to deal with either one of those situations. Um, and, uh, so, so again, those are some of the calls. There's also some, some, this move called Kentucky, uh, based off of Kentucky fried chicken. And, uh, but it's just, I think, you know, somebody in Cuba kind of heard about Kentucky fried chicken and the way the move works is, uh, by my, if you can see my hand signal, it's my elbow kind of flapping up and down like a chicken wing. And there are a couple of points in that move where one partner forms a chicken wing and the other partner forms a chicken wing. And so Kentucky, uh, came out of that.
0: And for our listeners, uh, Michael's just got his hand up by his armpit and he's flapping his elbow out there like a wing, but we are only going to be recording or sharing um, this conversation via audio on our podcast. Yeah.
1: Okay, great. All right, great. So I'll try to be as descriptive as I can uh, with Thank my words, you. but yeah, f- flapping my elbow up and down is a <laughs> legitimate call in uh, Vereta, uh actually known around the world uh, for flapping your up and arm up and down, and then everybody does a does a fun move together. So it's those types of things, and so, and so part of the the deal with the dance is it's very social, and so that's part of the fun of Veretta is. Yes, it's great to dance with, with one partner and, and share the dance with that one person, but there's an also there's a different level that happens when you're dancing with a group of people. It's a group of friends that want to get together and kind of share this particular dance. And so uh, from that standpoint, it's nice to have a, a different way of enjoying the dance, experiencing the music with a group of people as opposed to just one person. And So the Red is, is great for that. That's part of what I like so much about it. Fun! Yeah. Very fun. Very fun. And I like, I like being able you to know, sharing that with other people. Um, as I tell my students, uh, usually when they come to my first, the first Red workshop, I ask them, why did you come here today? What, what made you come here? Maybe they saw an ad on Facebook, or maybe they knew a former student who uh, told them to show up, or maybe they just saw us out socially and figured out I'm the one who teaches it. And, decide to come, and I say, that's great, and I tell them, well, that's great, that's why you're here, and I teach it because I can't do it by myself, and so I want <laughs> to grow the community of beretta dancers in Houston or wherever I happen to be, um, and so it takes instructors to do that, but again, it is fun. I like sharing that fun with other people, and um, yeah, it's, it's been great to be able to teach that for kind of over a decade now.
0: Yeah. All right, well, you must know a lot about teaching connections, so lay it on us.
1: Uh, well, part of it is about um, uh, just kind of respecting your partner, understanding your partner, understanding the possibilities of what the move might be, what your partner needs to feel to be able to understand the move, uh, but also just to relate to you as a person. I mean, you know, kind of a little bit of eye contact should be happening. Uh, you're not necessarily going to stare your partner down the whole dance, but, uh, but just make, <laughs> making sure you're, you're acknowledging that it's another person that's there. I think, I think sometimes... When people get into dance lessons, they think about it as, oh, these are some steps of what I need to do with my feet or what should I be styling with my arms or or whatever. Um, but at the most basic level, I think any dance comes, any partner dance comes down to two people connecting. It doesn't always have to be a mating ritual. It doesn't have to be that. Again, that's, again, part of what I learned when I was uh, dancing with my friends kind of through the 90s, even before I took formal lessons. Again, it could be a wedding, it could be a birthday party, it could be a, a mother dancing with the son, a father dancing with the cousins. It's not about the pickups. You I yeah, mean, yes, in nightclubs, you know, men and women like to get together and and uh, you know, and, you know, just get together. And so, uh, but but it doesn't always have to be that. And so, if you can go to, at this point, I can know when I go to a club. Okay, these are the people. Over time, these are the ones who are here to dance. These are the ones that are here to feel that same connection with the music and the partner that I'm looking for. It's about us sharing this, these few minutes of music together. It, maybe it could be romantic if you want it to be, it doesn't have to be, it could be your connection with the music and that can be the enjoyment you get out of it. Let's whatever kind of joy I get out of hearing this music and wanting to express that with my body. If that my partner wants to express that too, then I want us to be able to do that together. I want to recognize when there are moments that I should let my partner express that. And so from that standpoint, I try to teach the leaders, you know, most of the cases men, but they're, you know, female leaders as well in the lead, follow dance, dance, uh, that I want to make sure that they're respectful of the fact that these women want to express the music too. Your follower wants to express the music too. So just grabbing them by both hands and twisting them through moves for four minutes in a row doesn't let your partner enjoy the music. And so, and, and so you know, let her guard once a while or do something that allows your partner to enjoy the music. Same type of thing. If I'm teaching women, yes, I want you to understand your styling and, you know, uh, sticking your arm out or flipping your hair, you know, swinging out your hip or whatever you might do, but still, you know, do that in a way that's interactive with your partner, that that, that it's still not about just showing off. I mean, it's nice to look good on the dance floor, but it starts off with enjoying the dance with your partner and, and I found just from my personal experience um, if I'm watching two couples on the dance floor one is connected with each other maybe even doing simpler moves but they're connected with each other and connected with the music I enjoy watching that a lot and versus a couple could be standing next to them doing all kinds of fancy moves And yes they're intricate and complicated but if they're not truly connecting with each other and they're not connected with the music it's less enjoyable to watch at a certain point Yes, it's great to see the athleticism. Maybe they're doing spins or whatever it might be. But, you know, I can only enjoy watching that for so long versus just, okay, I can enjoy this experience of there's these two people on the dance floor. Maybe they're a romantic couple. Maybe they're not. But I can feel that they're connecting with each other, connecting with the music, whatever the complexity of moves they're doing. And that's enjoyable to me. And that's what I like to do when I'm dancing. That's what I think is best for my students. So I think, again, students who would come to me and stay with me probably the ones who believe that also if you're the type of students who only wants a fancy move and, a, and patterns all the time. Well, you know, you're going to get that from me for a little while, but you might go on somewhere else. But the ones who who truly are seeking that connection and I try to try to let them know how good that can feel if you're doing it right. Um, that you know maybe what you thought you knew about dance or what you thought you uh, thought a dance should be about, it can be something different. And uh, just to kind of expose them to that idea of, okay, there's this other way of approaching it that I think is good for you in the long term um, in terms of how you're approaching dance.
0: Cool. Thank you. Okay. Where can people find you and connect with you online?
1: Uh, Well, I have a website called uh, SalsaGrande.net. So that's the word salsa and the word grande, G-R-A-N-D-E, dot net. I also have a webpage, Salsa Grande. And so... Those are the two uh, main places for that. The, the website um, has a number of our you know performance videos on it. You know we've been on TV several times and so there are some several clips that compile our television performances as well as performances at different festivals. Um, you know We've traveled to California a couple times and so I'm kind of proud of you know what couple of our performances out there. And uh, so, yeah, just several, so you can kind of see what we do. You can see what Rueda is about, even if you've never heard about it. Um, It is the type of dance where you should know salsa, uh, at least the basics of salsa partner dancing before you do the Rueda format. So that's that's the level I do want people to be at least, um, uh, you know, early intermediate is is preferred for, uh, or higher, is preferred for getting into Rueda. But for people who want to just learn the, the dance from scratch, and my private lessons, I can do that for anybody. And so, uh, but yeah, so SalsaGrande.net or just the, the Facebook page for Salsa Grande are the two main places to find what I do.
0: Great. Are you giving online classes?
1: Um, no, not now. Again, because of the nature of the group dance for Rueda, it's difficult to kind of simulate that. Um, I do not have a consistent a partner who lives with me, or that I would want to to um, have to deal with all the social distancing issues and, and take her out of her comfort zone. So, uh, so yeah, I would not teach Roetta um, online. Uh, in terms of just uh, private lessons, uh, I guess that's a possibility. I have not gotten into that. I think there are other instructors who do solo dancing just for my particular style of instruction it is more helpful for me to be a little bit more hands-on, interactive with a couple or a person when I'm with them. Yes, I can visually tell them what they're doing right or wrong or explain it. And I think I'm pretty good at that. But it does help to actually feel how a person would be touching, feeling their partner. And so I'd be missing that from the online instruction. So so no, I haven't done that. I suppose, again, if, if, if somebody wanted to contact me about at least explaining some moves to them, I could do that. But, in terms of just trying to put myself out there, I don't put myself out there because you know, I, I that's not wouldn't be a comfortable, necessary way for me to teach. I don't think I'd be as effective at that. There are plenty of other instructors who are doing footwork classes and solo classes and styling classes and and I don't know that I'm that much better than they are to try to force myself into that um you know fortunately um you know salsa. Teaching dance is not the way that I necessarily put food on the table. It's, it, you know, I have my other day job, and so I don't feel compelled to do that either, you know, through online paid classes or donated classes, whatever, which is great for other people to do. So, But I just haven't felt compelled enough to do that. I think there's there's enough presence out there of other instructors to where I don't feel I have to force myself into that. I understand. Yeah.
0: When did Rueda develop?
1: Uh, well, we're in a, there are different theories on that, but again, I've tried to educate myself as much as possible. And so, my best understanding is it basically started in the 1950s in Cuba, and um, and again, back to maybe even the swing dancing tie. What I what I've been told and heard, even my my uh, um, uh, I have a YouTube page with uh, that contains an interview with kind of one of the earliest dancers of, of Rueda because a, a woman from the Boston area who is very good in both Spanish and, and English um, interviewed him. And it's basically about an hour-long interview uh, where she's able to uh, translate what he's saying. It's very helpful. Also, I've, I've taken a seminar with her. I kind of know her personally now. Um, but anyway, so that, so this discussion kind of focused on the fact that um, kind of in the late 1950s, um there was more interchange culturally between the United States and Cuba. And so some of the young uh Cubans you know, like teenagers could see some movies and you know see American swing dancing in movies. And so that's what they call call uh rock and roll dancing. So a lot of people in, in Latin Spanish speaking countries kind of refer to what we call swing dancing, just kind of rock and roll dancing. And so um, so they saw some of that. And so the fundamental movement of Reda is called Guapea, and it looks a little bit like a swing out in uh, swing dancing, and kind of an open and close movement. And so that was, so I think, so some of those Cuban teens saw that. They tried to figure out a way that they could do that in a group. And, um, and so I guess, you know, some of the music at the time that was available was you know, traditional Cuban rhythms, um, uh, salsa, mambo. Son is is really kind of what the traditional Cuban sound is called, and so they could use some of that music to dance, and they and they just developed their own uh, calls and names, and, and so I don't know, you know how much they also got influenced by any square dancing they may have seen in movies, things like that. But I know there's been a definite discussion that square dancing was a little bit of that focus in the 1950s in Cuba, and then you know kind of early 1960s with the embargo and political relations becoming more strained between the U.S. and Cuba, there was less of a connection directly between Cuba and the United States. But with some of those Cubans going to Miami, then Miami became the focus of a lot of Rueda development. And so so then Miami became the source of kind of how Rueda was built and spread. And so now it's really spread all over the world. And, of course, there are other countries that did not have as much political trouble with Cuba. So Cubans could go to France or Spain or Italy or wherever and spread the dance. And also the people from Miami could spread around the United States. And so it really has developed around the world. Wherever there's salsa, there's somebody doing or teaching rite. And so, uh, so, yeah, so it really started kind of in the late 1950s, uh, developed a little bit more in the 1960s. And it kind of faded away a little bit, I think, through the 80s. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of come back very strongly in the in the 21st century.
0: Oh, yeah. Salsa has just gotten so popular.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so and, and with salsa, with salsa becoming more popular, then Rata became more popular. Because again, there are certain mm. obviously people like the partner dancing one on one, and then oh, then there's a certain subset of people who see oh, we can do this in a group. It doesn't. I can do this in a way that challenges my salsa skills in a slightly different way, and and then they go off into the Rata direction. so, so yeah, so with salsa's development, uh, Rata development kind of follows along with that.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think Salsa and Rueda uh, collectively or separately say about our culture?
1: Um, well, just um, kind of a need, need to connect with another person, again, to the extent that we're talking about it. Salsa as a partner dance, just one-on-one, just that need to connect, just that need to express something when you're hearing great energy in the music. Um, so I think there's that. I think um Retta, uh particularly expresses that uh need to connect with a lot of people, and so it's not just about one person, but it's like we enjoy being in a community of people who um like the same things that we do they who are feeling the same things that we're doing at the same time um you know, I'm also um a kind of a season ticket holder with the Astros, Houston Astros baseball team, and a partial season ticket holder with the Houston Rockets, and again, those are sports. Houston Rockets basketball. Uh, those are sports that I can uh, watch on TV, but there's a certain level of excitement that comes from just being in the stadium with a lot of other sports fans cheering for the team at the same time, feeling the same energy. And so, Vareta kind of simulates that type of feeling of that energy. Oh, we're all in this together. We're all experiencing the music together. And so, just that that kind of basic human need to express the music but also connect with other people, you know, again, whether it's one-on-one through basic salsa dance, traditional one-on-one salsa dancing, or in the red, a group format where it's, Hey, I'd like to do this. And I'd like to share it with other people around me at the
0: same time. If we can go back just a minute, who was in the video that you said, what was the woman from, uh, did you say Boston or Brooklyn?
1: Oh, oh, uh, Boston, Boston. Yeah. Boston. Anara, so- yeah. Her, yeah. Her name was Anara Frank. And, um, uh, yeah, and I think she may have been born in New York. I, I wouldn't commit to that. But, but yeah, her name, but she lives in the Boston area now. And actually I just saw her last year, I think it was, when I went to the Boston area. And she's uh, still living there. But yeah, she has a very a big interest in trips between the United States and Cuba.
0: And who was the guy?
1: Um, I can't remember his name, uh, but he We can was, look it up
0: yeah, yeah, and put yeah, it in the can, notes. But where's the video again?
1: Uh, It's on YouTube. It's um, Let's see. I'll I'll have to send you the information. But basically, you'd probably see something like the founders of Rueda, that type of thing. uh, uh, And again, Rueda, for people who aren't familiar, it's spelled R-U-E-D-A. And so, uh, yeah, if you look up an R Frank Rueda interview with one of the founders, something like that. I I can't remember all the words I put in the description, but that should help it pop up. And it's basically about an hour-long interview. It talks about um, how it developed with the young uh, youngsters in, in Cuba at the time, kind of spread across the island of Cuba when some of them were moving around and go from there. But yeah, nara Frank, I think she worked, she, she teaches dance. She also kind of organizes, or at least she did before all this happened, trips between the United States and Cuba. And uh, so she has a strong interest in kind of connecting people with um, Cuban dance and just information about it, feeling more comfortable. Yes, okay, yes, it's in a different language than this the main language English here in the United States, but we can still feel it, you know, even if you aren't fully in tune with understanding the language, there's still an element of feeling the energy, feeling the connection that you can get from the dance, regardless of the language that you speak,
0: yeah, and you can learn what sombrero means,
1: oh yeah, definitely, definitely yeah, so there there's lots of stuff that can be learned and and connected with, and I think that's also you know I, t- I took. You know, Spanish in high school, but I wouldn't call myself fluent. Uh, and I've picked up a little bit more over the years, but still not fluent. Uh, but yeah, in the 90s, even when I wasn't understanding the music, I, and my friend, but I could join my friends in this experience that um, uh, that we can all enjoy and connect with. And, and, you know, even, you know, some of the, I, I, I take it as a compliment when sometimes I might be a Tropicana or some other club and somebody comes up to me and just starts speaking to me in Spanish because they just assume that I must be Spanish. If, if I, if I dance that way, I must be, you know, Cuban or Colombian or, you know, somewhere else that there might be more dark skinned, um, uh dancers. And and again, for people who are just listening, I am African American and, and I don't look a Latino or your traditional uh, view of, of that. But, um, and so I don't necessarily look like a salsa dancer if you just saw me standing up there. Um, but, um, but once I start dancing and and people have seen me dance and, uh, uh, that I hope I connect in a way that's authentic, that somebody uh, can feel, or if they've come from a Latin country and they've just known salsa dance in that country, that they can connect with me here. And so, so I, I take it as a compliment or, or when people do that, because they, at some level, they think I'm one of them. I'm one of the people who connects to the music the way they do, or, um, or they you know, or they say, okay, you know, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, I'm from Houston and Oh, where are you really from? Oh, uh, Michigan. <laughs> you know, I think they're trying to get at me that I, that I must have some level of Latin blood in me. And, and no, I don't. But I do have that same uh, connection to the music that you do. And so it didn't, didn't matter that, yes, I'm from Michigan and Houston, but uh, I feel the music, you know, as a human being and uh, that, uh, you know, we all can do that. And, so that and, that's, and that's part of the reason why I teach as well, that... Um, I think some people might be intimidated about any type of dance, uh, particularly something where there's a dance going on and a language is being spoken that they don't know. And I'm I'm here to say, yes, you can connect with it. I'll help you bridge that gap the best way I can, the way I had to. Um, And uh, I try to help you along the lines to to make it there.
0: That's really nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and I I think that's important. So, you know, to to whatever kind of my personal viewpoint of, of people connecting I think that can be translated to dance. I am happy to have a wide variety of, of uh of people who take my classes. I think when I started dancing, um, you know, again with my friends back in the nineties, yes, I'd go to clubs and most of the people would be, you know, from Latin countries of Latin Latin uh heritage and I would kind of stand out. I think these days I don't stand out as much as a tall African American. Again, if you're even watching this on a video or hearing this on a podcast, I'm 6'2", over 200 pounds. Uh, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not kind of the tr- traditional thought of what you would think of as a dancer, and so I kind of stand out um, uh, in that in that way, but I can still relate. But nowadays, like I said, there's so many different types of people. I think, um, you know, there's a wave of when Ricky Martin and Jennifer Lopez got people interested in Latin culture in a different way, and, and over the years there have been other opportunities that people might start to feel like they – want to see what this is about, uh, especially in a city like Houston with our very uh, diverse uh, community of different ethnicities and people, countries of where people are from. Then I think it's very, um, but, yeah, you find people who are a little more open-minded to trying something different. And, and I'm glad that there are people willing to try something different. And I try to, like I said, be the bridge between what they knew before, what they can know now and, uh, and go from there.
0: Yeah, you're just really bringing me back to going to Tropicana and knowing that, like, I mean it as a compliment to you, to your culture, like, like all Latin history, that this is so great. It's so fun. You guys are awesome for keeping it up and for coming out tonight. And I I just really enjoy that experience. And like, I couldn't, I couldn't say that in Spanish, but I can go out on the dance floor and I move just like everybody else. So there is that common heart that, you know, we all have that heartbeat and we all have the same, I guess, like just connection with the music. So I I love the way that you verbalize that. And it just makes, it just makes me remember very, very fondly um, those fun times that we had.
1: Yeah. and, And I think that, that relates to maybe a couple of points i make too, is, you know, when I talked about enjoying being with, My friends, you know, and and that's part of the, 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 in the 90s, that was part of the deal about Latin culture that I started becoming more, um, you know, uh, impressed with. Um, I guess I, you know, I obviously had to, you know, my parents loved me, but it was not a very touchy feely household uh, when I grew up. And, but then, you know, I'm hanging around my friends um, in this kind of Latin environment and everybody's, you know, kissing on the cheek and hugging and greeting. And and so I think I, I like that warmth. That came from Latin culture and that openness, um, and so just kind of being around that was 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 very uh, helpful to me, and probably another incentive to kind of stick around. Hey, I like being in this environment. These people in this environment like to dance, and I like to dance. What can I do to kind of stay here and enjoy it the same way that they do? And uh, so yeah, that that warmth comes through. That connection comes through. It it also reminds me of a friend um, that uh, he was living here. I think he's from he was from Colombia. I think for work, he was living in Houston for just a couple of years. And and, a, and then a few years later, he had to move away and we had a farewell party for him. And um, so one of the things that he said to me during the farewell party was, hey, you know, I'm I'm really glad I've met you here. You know, when I came, I didn't think there would be anybody in the United States who would feel this music the way I do, who relates to it the way I do. But, but there there's somebody here and, and there are more people now, But but kind of I was a connection to him that... Back to what he felt at home and that he and it made him feel better that somebody else respected that and that and that's what I ultimately try to do again I, I like to teach it but I don't uh you know there's there's i think a term culture vult- culture vulture where somebody comes in they're not necessarily from that culture they're trying to appropriate it and do things with it and 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 I, and I don't want to be seen that way I want to be seen as no I'm, I'm not hispanic that's I don't have any of that in my background but um, I respect it, and I, and, I, and I want to treat it with respect. I want to share it in a way that's respectful, um, without trying to claim that I have any other connection there. Um, there, there is, you know, there there is a root in 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 salsa that's really a mix of um, African culture, African music, drums, percussion, congas, bongos, that type of thing. That's mixed with some of the European and Spanish influences in Cuba, and so, so at some level, yes, there's kind of some of my Afro-American heritage, some of my jazz heritage can come through. But at some level, I'm not Hispanic, I'm not Latin. I'm not trying to say I am, Uh, but I do respect it. And I think we can feel this together the same way. And it's it's very um, heartwarming to me when people connect to me in that way who are from uh, Latin heritage uh, and backgrounds and they feel the music the same way I do. We can share time on the dance floor, enjoy ourselves. And, um, and, and, yeah, it feels good when, when things like that happen, when people say things like that to me.
0: Have you danced in Cuba?
1: Uh, no, I haven't. And that's one of the things I've, I'd really like to do. I mean, there, there was a, a Cuban trip uh, that got postponed last year, uh, partly because of the political reasons. I think the Trump administration kind of cut off some of the abilities of, of, of American citizens, U.S. citizens to travel freely to Cuba. So no, that, but that's one of the things I like to do. Um, I have not danced in Cuba. Uh, I have been lucky. Again, there, there are a number of Cubans who live in Houston. And so, and again, I've met a lot of them and I, that's where some of my dance development has happened from dancing with them, from talking with them, interacting with them. Um, also taking classes from Cuban instructors who've been through the Houston area, um, also in, um, uh, it wouldn't strike most people, but there's actually a good sized community of people in the San Francisco, Oakland area who love Cuban music. And uh, again, I've been out to several festivals out there and, and taken instruction from Cuban instructors out there. And so I get some slightly in some direct in the sense that it's from Cuban instructors, but not necessarily being in Cuba at the time. Um, but again, I feel like I'm getting a little more exposure. Uh, to it. Obviously, I wait, watch a lot of videos and YouTube and things like that or whatever might pop up on Facebook of dancers who are in Cuba or from Cuba. And that helps my ability to kind of connect with it and learn it, share it with other people as an instructor, uh, that type of thing. So so yeah uh, so the short answer is no, I haven't been to Cuba. Uh, but yes, I've had a lot of kind of contacts with ways that I think have given me a good opportunity to understand what the music is about, to to share it in that in that way miami like uh yeah i have been to miami um and uh this could probably spark a long story but I actually um one of my kind of formative salsa experiences was winning a dance salsa dance contest in miami uh, back in 2002 i've been there there's a little conference and and um Uh, Well, basically, one of my good friends, again, part of the circle of friends I had, Hispanic friends. He's he's Cuban American, and uh, his company was going had a uh, sponsored him to go to a conference in Miami. I said I'd go at the same time. You know, he goes do his conference during the day, and then I, you know, we could get together at night and hang out at all the clubs and whatever in Miami. Well, it turned out his conference, which was uh, basically for Hispanics uh, professionals around the United States. was having a dance contest each day. I think it was a two or three day contest and they had two or three day conference and they would have a dance contest each day. And so um, so he told me about it that they'd had it one day and I said, Okay, I'll, I'll show up the next day and see what it's about. Um, not necessarily intending to join the contest, but just kind of seeing what was happening. And but then they invited people to participate and I said, Okay I went up there and said I like to dance. I don't necessarily have a partner and some uh, person came out of the crowd, I would say woman, but she was wound up being 16. <laughs> I like, guy, we discovered later. <laughs> but she was, uh, uh, so at the time, <laughs> I was pro- probably about twi- twice her age, but she was an excellent dancer. And so as it turned out, it you know, was a contest where they, uh, you know, they kind of weeded us out through a couple rounds. I think maybe it started out with 10 to 12 couples. And, um, and then wound up being two, and the audience, was, the winner was picked by a kind of audience um, vote. And they cheered for us. And so that was, um, again, that's kind of one of really the most important experiences of my life, not just my salsa life. But, but it, was, it was great to uh, be in that environment. Many Hispanic, Latin people around me, they don't know me at all. I'm here in Miami from Houston and, and just find a random partner in this dance contest. And you cheered for us that you thought we should win this contest, that you thought we were reflecting the dance in a way that uh, respected the way that you would understand the dance. And so, so just kind of hearing that cheer from random people winning the contest, not necessarily about the win, but about the approval from that particular audience um, made it very meaningful to me. And um, so, so, yeah. So when you say Miami and dancing, that's really one of the best experiences of my life, actually.
0: Awesome. Congratulations.
1: Yeah. Okay, thanks, thanks. Yeah, 18 years later, but I'll accept it. Yeah, uh, yeah but uh, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was great. And it really was formative for a lot of things that had happened afterwards. It gave me the confidence, yes, I'm doing this right. I'm doing this in a way that people can respect and understand. And okay, this big crowd thought that I was the type of person who could dance this dance the way it should be danced. So that gave me a certain boost of confidence to be able to say, okay, yeah, maybe I could teach this to somebody else. Maybe I do have skill to put this on a stage and other people watch me or put myself on television and not think I'm going to embarrass myself um, because I have the confidence, yes, I can do this uh, in a way that's uh, you know, pleasurable to watch.
0: Yeah, you got a, a stamp of approval
1: uh yeah yeah no I, I, it's definitely um good to have that, you know, I guess I'm not necessarily- you know always out there dancing mm-hmm. just to have somebody validate it. It really is to me it all still always goes back to I'm enjoying this music, I want to express it and, and and I think maybe early in the interview you talked about maybe my particular style, and I guess if I'd say anything about my dances, I try to be musical with it, I try to have musicality, I try to reflect the ups and downs, the change in the tempo, the accents that are going on in the music. So I do try to dance in a way that's expressing the um, whatever the composer of the music was thinking and expressing as opposed to stepping one, two, three, five, six, seven. You know, okay, the music is a metronome for me to step to. I want to express the, 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 the changes, the, the ebbs and flows, the different emotions that are conveyed in different parts of the song or different types of songs in different ways. And so... That's what it really comes back down to. But yeah, but yeah, like I said, yeah, it's definitely nice to have the validation. Like I said, somebody comes up to me to, to speaks in Spanish and feels that I'm I'm expressing it or winning a contest or getting invited to perform somewhere because okay, somebody saw me dancing and they want me to, to bring, you know, partner or to bring my group to dance somewhere and share that with other people. But they can also find the same joy in it that we find.
0: Cool. And you know, you stepped up out of the blue And into the limelight, and you brought her with you, and she got to win. And she was 16. Like, what a huge thing for her. You know, I'm I'm assuming she wasn't like a, you know, champion dancer by that point. Maybe she was. But, I mean, good good for you to bring her to that and give her that experience, too, because she needed a lead.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. It it definitely was great for both of us. Um, Yeah, I got the impression she probably had had some dance training, but not like she was – teaching other people or anything like that um she was cuban she was of cuban background and uh and so again uh, she was there i think with her mother and her sister and but and, uh, maybe they pushed her out there i don't know exactly how she got out there with me um but uh, you know i could tell from the first couple of moves that she was a good dancer and i think i've kind of connected with her through facebook i know she's out there still dancing uh, not necessarily performing but um but uh, yeah, she was an excellent dancer. I was lucky to have her. And and it goes back to the point about, you know, I, if I have this great dancer with me, I want to allow her to express herself too. And so I think part of what helped us win was, you know, if it's just me, again, that was still a few years into my dance training. Um, I, might, I probably would not have won, but I think I knew enough when to step out of the way and let this other great dancer shine. And I think that the way that we played off of each other was something that the, the audience picked up on. So yeah, they could they could feel, you know, yes, I had a certain level of skill, but they also could feel that connection. Uh, they also could feel, okay, yes, I, there's another great dancer, you know, that I'm dancing with, and uh, all that played together in in winning that particular contest. But but yeah, I'm, I'm glad in whatever way that that played any role in, in, in her life as well.
0: It's fun to watch perfect strangers get out there and try to figure out how to dance to that song together. You know, oh, it's so spontaneous. It's a surprise. You don't know what they're doing and they don't even know what they're doing.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and that happens a lot, of course, in, in a social dance setting or in a nightclub setting. Uh, even just, you know, just a few months ago, again, I was back at that same festival in, in San Francisco where they focus on Cuban music. And I remember I danced a song with with, uh, with a uh, woman I didn't know. Um, and, and then I came off the dance floor and a couple of minutes later, a woman walked up to me and said, oh, um, how long have you guys been dancing together? And I said, oh, I just, I just met her. And, and again, I think she was kind of new to that setting. I don't know if she kind of came there with a friend or whatever, but she was shocked that we could dance there well together, spontaneously improvise. We just heard this random song. Uh, we met for that minute. We walked away, uh, from each other and, uh, but you know, somebody else could recognize, there was a connection there, even from strangers. And it felt like a real connection between people, even though they happened to be strangers, but they connected because of the music. You know, I had a certain skill level, my partner had a certain skill level, and uh somebody outside recognized that. So so I do like when somebody can can see that and pick up on that from afar, even if they don't know as much about the dance, um, that we can still make that happen as, as dancers.
0: It sounds like you went from being a little boy in front of the TV to dancing across the country and um, out on the town all the time, and on stages and TV, and and now you're back in front of the screen again. Here we are.
1: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. How are you doing? Like, are you are you seeing your friends? Are y'all guys y'all like doing a little solo? Dance uh, Zoom or what?
1: <laughs> uh, no, no, uh, no, like I said, uh, yeah, I, I don't really um, do much in terms of instruction-wise. I have actually taken a couple of online dance classes, classes uh, on Zoom during this whole big pandemic quarantine okay. thing. Thing. So yeah, I have I have taken a couple of those classes. Um, it's still not quite the same. Again, they tend to be kind of footwork classes. It's, there's not quite the same connection, but you still get that yeah. that feeling of the movement that comes from expressing the dance, that emotion that comes from um, just moving your body when there's music going on. So there's that. But then otherwise, it's more along the lines of, you know, exchange some emails, messages. Hey, how are you doing? You know, let me know what you've been up to. You know, Because because part. I, I, yes, I want to. I, I've been lucky that um, over the span of teaching and I think maybe the method and the way I teach, it's conducive to actually making friends with the people who either learn from me or been on, you know, dance teams that I've, uh, choreographed. And so I've developed friendships. of that. So, yeah, so part, also part of going out to the nightclub and dancing was about just seeing my friends. It was not just only about the dance, but uh, seeing me connect with my friends. And so, uh, so from that level, I still tried to connect. And so, um, so any friends who haven't gotten an email from me yet, you probably will get one soon um, because I just kind of try to touch base with different people at different times. Say, hey, how are you doing? And, um, you know, what have you been up to? How, you, how have you been dealing with this? This is how I've been dealing with it. You know, just because to let them know it, it wasn't just a, you know, superficial dance connection. I thought we were friends. Um, I think we are friends. We 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 should stay connected through this let's get together after this is all over. Um, there should be some kind of continuation through the process, even if we can't physically be in the same room dancing with each other, um, let's still stay connected. And so I, I'm grateful for the friends I've, I've met through dance over the years. That's That's been great for me. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a lawyer in my day job. And um, yes, it's nice to hang out with some lawyers, but not all the time. And so I've really been glad that the dance has introduced me to teachers and engineers and, um, um, you know, maintenance workers and, and other just wide variety of professions. And whoever decides they they like this dance, we can share that experience together. And I've gotten to meet so many people that I know I would not have met in my typical lawyering, um, that it it has been, that's been a great part of my life as well. And I've been able to not just share that the dance, but make friends in a wide variety of backgrounds. And and that's what I like as well as, I like knowing people who, who didn't grow up the same way I did. I like understanding things and learning things about different cultures and different experiences. And so, from that standpoint, it's been good to know people who can expose me to things I would not have been exposed to
0: before, you
1: know, basically because of our mutual love for dance. Good. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been great for me.
0: What's on your horizon?
1: Um, well, I want to keep dancing. Um, I want to keep, um, you know, choreographing. I want to keep teaching. Um, really, I had for because of um, um, because of business reasons and other stuff going on, I had not taught as many of the workshops that I normally uh, would have taught uh, during 2019. And I had made a personal commitment that 2020 was going to be the year that I would teach more workshops. And, and I had done that through January and February. I taught more workshops that I had in January, and February last year. And, and that was my personal commitment to myself. I'm going to try to ramp this up again um, in a way that um, I kind of let slide by a little bit last year. And so I want to keep, uh, keep that up. And I think, you know, Still watching videos, think, seeing things like that has kept my interest in dance alive. Being at that festival back in February that always rejuvenates me, and so and, and I've you know been thinking about different choreographies, things of that nature. Um, actually, I guess it was two years ago um, I had we had done a routine, performed it out in San Francisco. That was shortly after kind of Hurricane Harvey had happened, and so part of the theme of the routine was about you know coming through hardships and then coming out of it dancing. Still, you know, okay, we made it through. Now let's enjoy our lives again. And so, um, and so, I kind of like to take that same approach. I, I probably wouldn't do a similar type of choreography this time, um, just because I've done it before. Um, but I do want to have a joyful choreography, kind of when we come out of this, um, to just reflect. Hey, we made it. Let's enjoy our company together. Let's 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 live. Let's let's continue.
0: Awesome. Well, um, in the meantime, you know, being at home and, um, watching out for your safety, um, I guess, you know, we don't really know like when it would be, um, when it will happen that you're going to want to go back to Tropicana. Right. So, um, you know, like, like in an imaginary world, if if you didn't think that was going to happen again, what would you start doing?
1: Ooh, well that's that's a that's a deep question and um um well yeah, because I guess it kind of goes away from one of my philosophies about dance, which is there's always going to be another dance so you know, if I couldn't do everything and and use up every move I learned and all that, I don't have to do that for the sake of this one song and try to show off. I can do whatever I want to do another time there's going to be another night I can do that if there was no other night um well, uh, I probably would try to make greater efforts to connect through Zoom I, or through whatever video platforms there are. Um, again, part, maybe part of the reason I've kind of held back a little bit, like I said, is that there have been other people occupying that space, um, but there will be a point where maybe I need to occupy the space. It's, I haven't felt the need to do that so far. Maybe it will be. there will become a time when, hey, we need to connect in a way where we're sharing this dance together whatever technology allows to do that um yeah I, I i don't envision the rest of my life without dancing and so there would have to be some way for me to to make that happen um but i, I remain hopeful optimistic i'm expecting mm-hmm. us to dance together um in the future so um so yeah as a, as a as a last resort i guess we have to resort to technology or the memories of how we danced before, but I'm hoping it's not just about memories. It's about, you know, what we can do in the future, what we can create in the future uh, together, in person. And so uh, that's what I'm still uh, expecting, what I'm so optimistic about.
0: Yeah, so you're just kind of taking a break for now?
1: Let's see. Uh, th- your connection broke up with me a little bit. Can you say that again?
0: Oh, um, well, it's interesting to me that you... We're always going out dancing just, you know, with your friends and with whoever showed up. So in this sense, like, you always had a partner, but right. you somehow still lost your partner.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that, that's the that's correct way of looking at it. Is, it's like, yeah, there's yeah, there. like I said, there'd always be another dance. There'd always be another person that has to dance. And, and over time, especially, you know, in the Houston area, I get to know who are the other people who like to dance. And so yeah, I can just show up by myself and expect there's going to be somebody there I'll know. At the very baseline, that I could ask to dance, or even if I have to ask strangers, I can do that. Um, but yeah, with no partner at all, it it that would that takes away a big element of of what I do and uh, what I teach. Uh, like I said, Bereta is about connecting with other people physically in the same space. Um, you know, now this whole the way that COVID nineteen is being understood, it comes from being in the same space with other people, touching other people. You know, in the space of a reta song, I might be touching four or five, eight other women. Um, you know, we a couple of seconds doing one move, I switch to the next partner, a few more seconds, switch to the next partner, that type of thing. It really is about connecting with somebody, touching another person, um, doing the exe- executing this move together. And we just can't do that now. And, and in some ways that might make it one of the last forms of dance that comes about just because um, we can't connect in the same way. Um, that a solo dancer could or even one-on-one partners could, but in a group, you know, just just the way viruses transmit, whatever, that just makes it more dangerous at some level. So until we have a handle on it, that makes of one of the last things that might come back. So that's another reason to be optimistic and hopeful for whatever ways we can connect as a community together, that many people can be in the same space uh, touching each other and dancing with each other, um, so yeah, I, I could see myself again. I, I like dancing one on one, salsa with a partner, but uh, I, I definitely would be losing one of the main things that salsa grande does, which is show you how to dance with a group of people and have fun doing that. So, um, I guess you can watch our videos and enjoy some of that, but but I really would prefer to do that in person. And, and that's what I tell people too when they come to the classes. Yes, I'm glad you enjoyed watching it but now I'm hoping to show you a way to do it. It's maybe not as complicated as you thought it might be when you saw it uh, visually, but now you can be in the middle of the circle with us doing these same moves, let's, uh, let's, let's do it. And so I want to be in a position where I can teach that again, but also put other people in that environment again where they can share this dance uh, in, with other people in the same space.
0: What do you think about herd immunity?
1: Um, well, it's difficult. Um, I, I can get into a long discussion about that. And I have gotten into a few Facebook discussions about that too. Um, it's difficult because of the fact that some people are even, we're, we're going to be interacting with non-dancers. And so to the, to the extent that, okay, well, maybe I pick up the virus from somebody and I'm healthy enough to overcome it. Well, um, you know, my mother lives in the same household with me. She's in the age range that's more um, vulnerable, and so so I have to be extra careful about that. And other people are coming into it from their situations. I don't know who they live with, who they interact with, and so I don't want to be the person, even if I'm healthy enough, even if a group of us are healthy enough, to put that other person in danger. So herd immunity involves a certain amount of sacrifice that some people are going to get sicker than other people just for the sake of. Other the rest of us, and it's difficult for me to be in that position. I understand the arguments for it um, um, but again, I'm not a medical health professional, so I can't get fully into it but but that's what um, I'd be conscious of and so again as as an instructor of Reta, as an instructor of a group dance, I do feel a certain amount of responsibility for the safety the health of the people in my class, the people I'm dancing with so I'm going to be a little bit more cautious about putting them into that situation, even if I felt like, oh, myself, I could survive and I could get through it. But I'm very conscious of putting other people into that uh, situation. And maybe that's the lawyer in me also. But, But yeah, I'm conscious about that.
0: My guest today is Michael Whitmire. Michael, thank you for being a part of Dance Talks.
1: Well, oh, thank you very much. I've, I've enjoyed answering the questions and
0: uh, hopefully somebody gets something out of this interview.